And what's interesting in this is I, I don't were that new international or new English or which or international. Yeah, I, I'll be teaching from the new American because that's what I grew up with and it's what I've got. And so it, it's what I enjoy teaching from. And what's interesting, this term diligence, a life of diligence appears three times in this in the first section, first 15 verses. And it becomes an important aspect of who we are in Christ, I think. And so let's begin here in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I want to stop there because he classifies him first as a servant, second as the apostle. His position is servant, as all of ours are. His calling is apostle. So there's two things that we are involved with in our walk with Jesus is that we have our position, which are his servants, or his brothers and sisters, his children, if you will, as well. And we have a calling of ministry, whatever that may be. And what's interesting, if you read through some of the other letters that both Paul and Peter wrote, you'll notice in Paul, sometimes he starts a letter like in, in 1 Corinthians, it says, Paul, an apostle. He's dealing with issues. He's going to do things and talk to them very seriously about some very wrong precepts and practices they have within that church. So he's coming as the apostle. He's going to let them know what's going on there. You ever been in a business like that or in a family situation where, you know, dad's your friend and playing baseball, and then all of a sudden it's dad? You know, mom told me what you did, and it's time to understand how to change your ways and change your manners? Well, that's what happens with a lot of introductions, particularly in the letters, that as you look at those, they, they reveal a little bit of what's going on. And so as Peter writes to this church, he's a bondservant, an apostle, and it's specifically to the church, to those who have received faith of the same kind. And so he wants to emphasize this is for us. This teaching is for us. It's not for really the outside world, for the non-believer. This is for you and I. And there's some pretty serious statements as we read through the scriptures here. Um, So you have been received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he wants your blessing to be an increase in the understanding. He's going to give us a process. He's going to open up the process of what it means to be able to grow in this reality. And that's important for us. And he calls us to be, as we get down there, diligent in this. We'll be there in just a moment. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything, everything that we have came through him, all that we know and understand has been given. And it's not because he just gave it to us. It's because of who he was in following his calling, which is his righteousness. Jesus was righteous and faithful unto death for you and I, righteous and faithful unto the cross for you and I, and for the world as well. But he's really talking to you and I to keep that in mind. Understand that this is what we have through Jesus Christ. For by these things he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers in the divine nature. Have you thought about that? That one of the deals we have, one of the abilities we have, one of the positions we have 
is we are partakers in Christ's nature. Not that we have his nature, understand that. That's his, that's not ours. But we now can experience what it means to be in full fellowship and communion with Christ. Because of what he did for us, we can enter into that relationship. And that's an empowering reality that we can have that we didn't have prior to this. And we're going to see in just a moment why that's important. And having escaped the corruption in the world by lust. So all of a sudden, we have changed from a personality, from an ability to live our lives out of his nature and not world nature. When he went to the grave, when he was resurrected, our nature changed as we entered into relationship with him. We have the ability to be victorious now, which we didn't have before. We have the ability ability to move forward now, which we didn't have before. And he begins, develops the idea of what a Christian walk looks like. And he begins here in 5. Now, for this, re, for this very reason also, because of our position and who we are now, and we're now empowered because of our position of being partakers of his nature, we now have the ability to be diligent. In other words, think about it. It's got to be something you put your mind to. It's got to be something that you keep in front of you. It's got to be something that you understand is what we need to be doing. Keep in diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Well, hello. What does that mean? It means a lot of things to a lot of people. And in a relatively in a relative society and culture that we live in today, it means all kinds of things. Am I not wrong about that? There's just so much that people say, well, that's don't tell me what to do. You know? I'm going to do what I feel like I want to do. Well, there's a small teaching back in Philippians 4.8 that we get from Paul, and he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, If there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You have to think about it. You have to fix your mind upon that. It's not a natural inclination, particularly before salvation. But with salvation, you can then begin to focus. This becomes your focus. This becomes where you put your mind. This becomes a diligent activity, something you do repetitively and ongoing in your life. Got to get my paperwork out of the way. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge comes out of that. You begin to understand what it means to walk in an appropriate life. You begin to understand this is what God wants for you. As you fix your mind on these processes, on what is good, right, pure, honorable, praiseworthy, as you begin to do that, as you begin to be diligent in that approach, you begin to gain knowledge as being this is what's important to me. And out of that knowledge, self-control. Oh, I got an example. I didn't clear this with my wife this morning, but we'll be 50 years in January. (laughs) 
<laughs> and and we, we, I've made, I'll made, I, anyways, one of the areas, I, I hope it's 50 years in January, uh, one, one, of the, one of the areas that I always struggle, and I mean I struggle with it regularly. It's not something I've gotten away from. It's part of that idea of my own mind. When it talks about back up here about being controlled by the lust of the world, that's, that's your desires to do things. That's your desires to, to really gain control and hold on to stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I, 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 I can't let that. God, I know you want the greatest and the best for me, but I'm not sure here. I think I want to hold a little tighter. Every time, and I, and I have to confess this, I write a check for giving. I struggle. Lord, I don't know where all the money's coming for this month. Lord, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Are you sure you want me to do this? I struggle with this every... I've struggled with this for 40 years. And every Sunday, I have to give that over to God when we write a check. This morning, I'm feeling really guilty because we got a little bit of pay this last week, and we're not in church to write the check to give it. Well, now we'll do that in four weeks because we'll be back in church because we're here two more weeks after this, I think, I hope. And, and, and so, but I struggle with it, and I have to understand. You see, I know now God being diligent, doing what is right, honorable, proper, praiseworthy, is giving to God, right? That is part of our, our called duty. And so we, years ago, began by giving a set amount because we didn't know any better. And today God has revealed for us that we, we just give right off. The first check we write is 10% of whatever we get from whatever source it is. It just goes to the church. That's it. We don't specify where it goes. We don't specify what it does. If there are other activities that require funding, we pay above and beyond. That goes to God's function within the church. It's not our job to tell the stewards or the elders what to do with it. God's entrusted them to do that. Now, I'm coming out of almost 40 years in pastoral ministry, so it's their job to do that. That's what God has equipped them for. That's the ministry they've been called to and they've responded to, and by and large, they're always very diligent in doing that. So it's important that we, we give up. But for me, it has been an exercise of faith and knowledge because I know God has always meant us, never failed. But even within that, every week when I write that, it's like, Lord, are you sure about this? And I have to rely on the knowledge of seeing what he's done. When Joshua crossed the Jordan after a battle, I can't remember who it was with, or I mean Samuel, uh, way back when, they crossed the river, and he had them erect a tower of stones. Anybody remember what that's called? The Ebenezer. Remember this place. God gave us victory. What are the earmarks in your life? What are the Ebenezers in your life that you can say, God acted here. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He will do what he says in his word. What is there that we can sit back and absolutely rely upon? That's knowledge, isn't it? That's knowledge. That's understanding that God is faithful. And in that knowledge, when you know that, self-control develops. Because I'm not going to hold on to that money because I think I know better. I'm not going to direct it the way I think it ought to go. I'm going to trust who God has done. I'm now controlling myself or allowing God to control me, if you will, in that process. And because of that, 
I'm able to face this every week that we do this and write that check and have perseverance. I can get through this. I know it's possible. And this applies to every other area of my life, right? It's not just this. That's the example I gave. But all of us have areas like I just described in life that we struggle with on an ongoing basis. It's part of the old lust nature that's still lodged back in your head. It's not who you are anymore because you now have victory in the ability to overcome. And out of that perseverance is godliness. Do you ever feel like you're godly? That your life reflects that? But as you begin to do these things, as you set your mind upon these processes, as you begin to understand how God works in our life, that it's not just, boom, you're saved, everything's fixed, no problems. Right? Not a problem in the world after that. Not the case. Why do we have perseverance up there if that's the case? So as you begin to look through that, you see this is that self-control, perseverance, and godliness. And in your godliness grows what? Brotherly kindness. Particularly, remember he's writing to the church, particularly within the parameters of this facility. Do you dearly love one another? Are you willing to persevere through Various personalities, right? Brotherly kindness, and out of brotherly kindness, love. That ultimate, that idea that the other is more important than you, that the greater of the church is of deep value and sense, that you have a position in all of this, and that things don't go forward and work well unless you're functioning as God has called you to function as you understand that fully and completely. And he goes on to give us this great promise. Therefore, for for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I kind of restated it. So these qualities in you increase, and it's a cyclical thing, I think, that as you you reach a certain level of understanding, as God opens these things up to you, then you begin the process again. And you trust in other areas because you've seen him faithful here. Maybe I can turn this over to him now and be faithful there. You will be useful and fruitful of the kingdom. And that's God's desire for you, to be useful and fruitful. Because you are... God's plan A to love and care for his world doesn't have a plan B. Well, I guess he does. Jesus is coming back, and he will set all things in order. But in the meantime, we're it. You know, look around you. It's who God has chosen. Isn't that marvelously frightening? (laughs) But because of him and his righteousness and who he is, and the Holy Spirit living vibrantly in your life and in your community, it is not only possible, it has been doable for 2,000 years and will be doable for as long as we're here on this earth until Jesus comes. 
You're who he relies upon right now. Not that he needs to, but he's chosen to. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling. Think about it. Apply your mind to it. Focus on those things he's called you to focus on. Be more diligent. There's that word again. To make certain about his calling and his choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Oh, that's a pretty big promise. That's a pretty big promise. It doesn't say you won't have difficulties. It doesn't say you'll have an easy ride through life, but you won't stumble in the process. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes we stumble less in adversity than we do in easiness. Have you found that in your life a little bit? Sometimes when things are just kind of moving right along, we kind of lose sight of what we ought to be doing. I just love that. You will not stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied. In other words, you're not going to have any doubt going that way. I think of this as, as the, a huge sign over the gates of heaven. Say, come on in. Welcome. This is here for you. And not kind of sliding in the side door. The door's in, you're home, but this is a big entrance if you do these things. And it's not really that you do things, but that you set your mind upon what God wants you to set your mind upon. And you can't do that aside from the Holy Spirit indwelling you because of the sacrifice and the faithfulness and the righteousness of Jesus. Then you can do that. You have the ability to do that. And when you do that, the kingdom is open to you. I, don't, I think here, now, it's open to you. And you don't have to wait till you're dead to go to the kingdom. You can experience that life now if we are partakers of his divine nature here and now, acting as his conduit to the world here and now. We become part of that kingdom experience here and now. And we have the ability to live that because of who Jesus is here and now. And we won't stumble in that process as long as we keep our minds where God wants us to keep our minds. For me, this is very powerful stuff. I've never taught from Second Peter before in all my years. I've taught every other book of the Bible, even Habakkuk. Therefore, And this is what's important. Therefore, I will always, always be ready to remind you of these things. They're that important. A single teaching on this reality is that important. Notice in Scripture, Paul taught it back in Philippians. Set your mind on these things. Peter really repeats that again here. Put your mind where it belongs. Be diligent in it. Think about it. It is a premeditated life that we live thought out, put together, and lived. That's what we're called to do. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. I have not told you one new thing this morning. Nothing new this morning. 
It's a reminder of the reality that's there. Football's getting ready to start next Sunday. Anybody watch football around here? Anybody wish they didn't have people watching football around here? <laughs> but they're good because they're reminded of the fundamentals of what it means. A military is good because it trains in the fundamentals of what it means to be in the military. A believer does what God calls them to do because they remember the basics and they repeat them and they repeat them and they repeat them. It is muscle memory. You play that beautiful instrument because of muscle. If you didn't pick that up for two years, you could still play, but what would it be like? (laughs) You may hit an occasional wrong chord. That could happen. (laughs) But that's the reality of what muscle memory. Our faith walk is very similar to that. There is a certain muscle memory you develop over repetitive behavior, over setting your mind to doing what God has called you to do. And have been established in the truth which is present in you. I see that in you. I see it in myself. I see it in the people that are gathered here. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir up you by reminding you. Stir up. This is a wonderful phrase because it means to disturb you. It means to pull you back to what God wants us to do. Not me, but the scripture. It tells you that. The Holy Spirit will speak through these words to you and pull you back to where he wants you to be and and remembering these fundamentals of faith, this reality of being diligent in it. And knowingly that they lay aside of my earthly of, of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. Nobody told him he was going to be exiting the world soon. Jesus told him. I don't know how he told him. Told him how he told him. See what a college degree gets for you. And and the reality of that is that. God will use a myriad myriad of ways to talk to you. Sometimes it is that voice he speaks directly. Sometimes it's your spouse that God will use to speak to you. Sometimes it's an event or something else. I don't know what happened to Peter. I have a sense, though, from his background, he hears the voice of God quite often. And, I love this, and... I will also be diligent. I will repeat and do this, that any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things. I know by repeating and teaching and living and doing what God's called me to do, that you will remember those after I'm gone. That's important to Peter that the teaching doesn't stop with him, that you're going to know what's going on from now on. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now he brings out, the final statement saying, what do you, why should you listen to me? Why is this important? Listen, this wasn't our idea. This didn't come from me. Oh, by the way, 
I saw this guy. I knew who he was. I saw the majesty of his ministry. I was there. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance that was made to him by the majestic glory. We don't call God that very often. The majestic glory. Wow. At the baptism with John, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Peter reminding them, I was there. I saw this. That's what I'm talking about. And then he goes on to say, And we ourselves heard this utterance made from him heavenly. We were with him on the holy mountain. He and John were at the transfiguration. This is what I saw. This is what I understood. This is what was given to me by Jesus and by the Father. This is my position that I come from. I don't know where you came from, but my authority comes from God and his utterance. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as the lamp shining in the dark place. I have, this, I have two visions. One is Kansas, driving west on Highway 500, leaving Haviland. Anybody been to Haviland, Kansas? Oh, it's, it's the Quaker Mecca for evangelicals. There are more evangelical Quaker pastors out of Barclay College in Haviland than any other college in the world. Understand that. If you... If you're a child or know somebody who wants to get into Christian ministry as a pastor within the Friends Church or a missionary, deeply consider Barclay College, okay? Gene uh, <laughs> and I spent a few years on the board with them. It's a wonderful place. Anyways, west of Haviland, well, west of Pratt, into Haviland, there's nothing. Even Haviland isn't much. Um, but there's nothing out there for a, for a long distance. And at night, as you drive out that way, you will see a glow in the distance. And it's about 15 miles to the next town. (laughs) But you see the glow. That's the imagery I have. When I was 18, right after the summer I graduated from high school, I went fishing with a friend of mine. We live in Southern California. And we came down out of Cajon Pass going towards Nevada. We were going up, swinging up 15 through Vegas and up to Cedar Breaks and fishing up up, up the Navajo Lakes in Utah, Southern Utah. And it's about, I don't know, about 280 miles, 290 miles up there. And the wonderful thing in 1967 was that when you hit the backside of Cajon Pass on 15, there's no speed law. And there's no speed law all the way through Nevada at that time. And so he had it, he had his, you know, his mother had a Dodge Charger. With that, well, I think it was the 387 Hemi in it. So we hit the bottom of that hill, and Russ just kind of set it on about 110. We made it to Cedar Breaks in less than two hours from that point. But, we, but as we came towards Vegas, and it's a very different world. up. If you drive that now, it's a whole different world. Because once you hit the bottom of the home pass, a little bit of Barstow, and then there was nothing to Vegas. 
But miles out, I mean like an hour out of Vegas, you could see the glow. And it was like, it's like one-tenth of what it is today back then. And that's my image I have of this, that this is that light in the darkness. And I'm thinking he's writing, you know, somewhere around 50, 60, 70 A.D. And we're talking candles and lanterns and how much those were visible and overtook the night. Isn't that something? So that's my vision of what this looks like to me. And it'll be this way for us until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, until Jesus comes. Amen. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, what I've just talked about here, because prophecy isn't just foretelling or foretelling, it's foretelling the reality of what's going to happen now, the reality of the life we live now, the reminder of that has ever been made by an act of human will. Never been made by an act of human will. But but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. My authority and my words are not my own. These are the words of God. To be diligent and to follow what they're called to be. He has granted to us precious and exceedingly great promises that if you do these things, you will not stumble. You will be useful and fruitful. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for the word of your God. Lord, you just enlighten us in ways we can't always imagine. We thank you for that, Father. We ask your blessings this day as we continue on in in various activities, but go with us. And remind to put into our minds what it is you want us to do. And Lord, move our hearts to seek after those. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Is that it?